Christian discipleship, following the Lord. We'll be looking in chapter 11 and in verse 24. Chapter 11, verse 24, before we get into the body of the text, I share one of my favorite episodes in the Andy Griffith show. Jan said, uh, if I didn't watch Andy Griffith and grow up on a farm, I couldn't preach. But anyway, these uh, wonderful local shows have some powerful, powerful moral stories. But anyway, this particular episode featuring Ace Deputy Bernard Fife, Barney, as everybody knows him, he was uh, making the decision that he was ready to have a car of his own instead of driving the squad car. He was going to go out and find himself his own car. And so he got engaged in this car hunt, and he ran an ad in the local paper describing you know, his need. And, and sure enough, uh, there soon appeared what appeared to be a great bargain for, for Barney. Sure, a little old lady who showed up with a shiny old car that seemed to purr like a kitten. I had low mileage. She claimed she only drove it back and forth to church. And it was just a sure deal to Barney. Barney fell for the deal hook, line, and sinker. Despite Andy's insistence that he try to maybe test drive it or maybe take it to Gomer, the local mechanic, and have it checked out. Oh, no, Barney thought that would be an insult to this sweet little lady. Well, sadly, like so many people, Barney found that uh, when he took his family and his friends, rather, out on a leisure ride in his brand new wheels, that uh, things weren't always uh, as they appear. Because on this cruise that they were, a leisure cruise as they were riding in the, his new car, now all of a sudden he noticed that the steering column began to uh, protract out, out and come up towards his face uh, out of the steering wheel and like a charmed snake right in his face. And he was like shocked by that. Well, right on the heels of that, he, they began to notice this horrible, uh, uh, ominous clunking sound, clunking, clunk, clunk in the engine. And so Barney was beginning to have that sinking feeling. And just about that time, then steam began to pour out uh, like a big cloud out from under the hood of the car. And, uh, and then the engine shut down. So the last scene was Barney and uh, sitting on the front seat of the car with Thelma Luke steering it and uh, Aunt V and, and Gomer and Andy pushing the car back into town. And sure enough, when they got back to town and Gomer examined the car, he found a long list of fatal mechanical problems that uh, revealed that Barney's dream car was really nothing more than a colossal lemon. Now, in, in true Andy Griffith form, as it turned out, uh, you know, Andy Griffith, Andy and, and Barney discovered that the little old lady was head of an illegal car theft operation that stole cars and, and made superficial repairs and then polished them up and unloaded them on unsuspecting candidates like Barney. And, and in true luck, they found the lady, they found her crooked associates and arrested them. And, you know, and, and all ended well as Barney went on to find him another car. But the point that I'm making and trying to demonstrate here is that as we look at our text today, just as old clunkers can be skillfully and deceitfully cleaned up to look almost like brand new, so can the master deceiver, Satan, skillfully mislead a sinner who might be under some degree of conviction to just clean his life up, if you will, to get his act together 
by substituting and settling for a form of reformation, moral reformation. And that let that word sink in because that is a key uh, theme in, in this parable that Jesus is teaching here. Instead of actually submitting their lords, their lives to the divine work of God and experiencing divine regeneration. And so as, as we look at this parable, I, I urge you, if, if, if you're anyone that, that is, is not solidly assured of a relationship by faith in Jesus Christ and, have, and has not experienced the glorious gift of salvation, if you don't know confidently that you're saved and you're a child of God, I would encourage you to listen carefully to what Jesus is going to be teaching about this idea of attempting to substitute moral reformation in the place of God's divine work of a spiritual regeneration. And, you know, the thing is that it's not just a problem for individuals. It's a problem for our society. It's a problem for churches across the land today that are settling for the process of moral reformation. Just people, you know, making a conscious effort to clean up their act, to, to, to do good and, and right things, but to stop short of submitting their lives to true salvation. Now, you know that a parable is a powerful teaching school, a tool that Jesus often uses. It, it's it's a, a, a great uh, visual uh, lesson. It gives us a symbolic understanding of the principle that Jesus is teaching. And so as we, as we look here, um, in chapter 11, I want us to look at verse 24, because we see as we look at this, uh, what, what I describe as a deluded man, a deluded man. And, and this could be a deluded church. This could be a deluded nation. Jesus teaches in 11, chapter 11, verse 24. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, you may recall that earlier in chapter 11, in the last message I preached, chapter 11 uh, from verses 14 through verse 23, there was a, a, a bitter altercation, if you will, going on between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of that day, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees because they were attributing Jesus's exorcisms when Jesus was casting demons out of people, they had the audacity to suggest that he was actually doing it under the power of Satan, that he was actually an instrument of the devil. And of course, that was ridiculous, preposterous, and Jesus disarmed their, their accusation with careful reasoning. But, but it's against that backdrop that we find Jesus now teaching a parable that focuses on a man who had had, had a demon a demon occupying him. And so as we look at this this situation, what I call the deluded man that had the unclean spirit that, that went out of him, I, I want you to understand that this is a setting for what, what we call spiritual reform. It, and I resulted in superficial moral changes. I, I, I want you to see that when we look at this man that, that, that Jesus described as having a demon in him and the unclean spirit leaves out of him, that there's no sign 
of divine intervention. This is just a, 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 a evil spirit that on its own volition is leaving from its host at that time. And this is a representation of, of just superficial moral changes. Now, you know, John the Baptist, when he was teach, when he was preaching and, and, and preaching powerful messages of repentance to the people early in his ministry, back in chapter three, I believe John sensed that many of the people that were coming and they were responding to be baptized in what, what was a baptism of repentance, John sensed that they were not truly turning their lives over to God. They were just coming and, and, and trying to go through some kind of a cheap form of moral reform by showing up, being baptized, and saying that everything was good between them and God. Listen to what John said to those people in, John, in, in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes, this is John the Baptist, that came out to be baptized by him. And the many of those in the multitudes were the Jewish leaders, don't forget, the Pharisees and scribes. So there in chapter, in verse seven, chapter three, he says to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So just as John sensed that the people who were coming, many of the people, especially the religious leaders, were coming just as a show, just making a gesture of, of remorse, no sense of, of real effort towards being divinely regenerated and becoming a new person in the Lord. And, and so that, that those hypocritical Jewish religious leaders were posing as uh, with their impressive facade to impress the people. They were trying to convince the people that they were good in God's sight. You know, Jesus picked up on that, as we will see later in, in chapter 11 in Luke's gospel, verse 39. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he said there in verse 39, but the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees, Make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. And Jesus' primary target in his criticism was to those religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, who were marketing a deficient and a damning form of cultural morality based on legalism that could not save a person. And they were confusing the people into doing that instead of putting their full trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we look at this interesting parable that Jesus is telling, this is not an actual man. This is not an actual occurrence. But Jesus is painting a picture to show the difference here between uh, a person that is simply submitting to moral reform versus spiritual regeneration. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places and seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will, re I will return to my house from which I came. There's no mention of this demon being cast out. We know that Jesus in his ministry did that legit legitimately on a number of occasions. By his authority, by his power, he would cast out demons. But this is a, a demon that probably occupied a man who had fallen 
for this notion that I need to clean my life up. I need to get my act together. And so he probably began to, to do some religious things. He probably began to be a bit more moral. And this, this demon that was very comfortable living in this man's life and manipulating him probably felt a little bit uncomfortable with the spirit, the, the, the spiritual uh, spring cleaning that was going on inside of the man's life. And so he decided he was just going to leave. So if you can just kind of see that picture. And, and Jesus describes that demon as he's an unclean spirit as he leaves the, the, the host of this man's life. And he's going out and Jesus says he goes through dry places seeking rest. Now, we know that demons are spiritual beings. They, they don't thirst. They, they don't tire. But Jesus is speaking metaphorically here to describe how this demon is out, out of his comfort zone. He's out there and he's looking for another place to, to take up residence. And, and he decides that this is not for me. So he says, and listen to the language of this demon. demon. He's very confident about the fact that this is his house. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, in that very statement, we know that this was a man who wasn't just under the influence of demonic powers. This was a man who was possessed by, because this demon felt very confident that this, this man's life was his home. So moving from that deluded man now, we give more attention now to what I call a de determined demon because he doesn't speak like, I hope I can, I think I will, but he says, I'm going back. I'm going to go back and, and, and take up where I left off. And so in verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, and when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Ah, this is a welcome sign to this demon who's decided to go back you know, uh, to this man that he, well, he previously occupied, everything is in order. There's no sign of any other demon that has taken up place where he lived. And not only that, the, especially, especially the Holy Spirit wasn't there. So he, he saw an open door. You might say that the, the man that at one time had this demon residing within him was like Motel 6. He left the light on. It's like, welcome back. I missed you. Come, in, uh, come on back home. You know, and, and, and people, persons and nations, churches that fall for the deluded thought that all we got to do is clean up our act. All we got to do is go through some moral reform and we'll be pleasing in the eyes of God are living in a very precarious position. They're, they're drifting spiritually, you might say. And so here's this demon as he goes back. And he, and he begins to reoccupy this man. Um, and, you know, that's something that you and I as Christians, knowing that we have the spirit of God living in us, we don't have to fear uh, demon possession. Because just as this man's life was empty, void of the presence of the spirit of God, in contrast, you and I have the assurance that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and choose to follow him, that the spirit of God comes to live within us. Christ says, I am in you and you are in me. And that's why I love that passage in 1 John 4, 4, when John says to those early believers, those Christians, he says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than is 
he who is in the world. Now, can Christians be oppressed by, hounded by, tempted by evil spirits? You better believe we can. If we drop our guard, we don't keep our eyes on the Lord and we don't stay in the word of God and submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then yes, we can be taunted by these evil spirits. They can make our lives difficult as they tempt us through the flesh to do things that we know are against what God would have us to do. And so confidently, this demon comes back to reoccupy the life of a man that, that just went through the process of morally reforming his life. But he's just as vulnerable of demon possession and manipulation as he was the first day that the demon occupied his life. Not only does this demon decide to go back and take up residence in this man's life, but I want you to see what else Jesus says. Then he goes in verse 26 and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of this man is worse than the first. This demon is smart enough to say, listen, this man was subject to improving his life or attempting to improve his life. And it made it difficult for me to, to stay there. And I had to move out. He said, that's not going to happen again. Oh, no, I'm going to go out there and I'll, I'll invite seven of my toughest demonic, diabolical buddies and evil spirits. And I'll invite them to come and live with me. That, that way, I'll guarantee you that this man never turns his life around. Of course, we know that Christ could intercede on behalf of any person possessing, uh, uh, doesn't matter how many demons might be occupying a person's life. We saw that earlier in, uh, in Luke's ministry, uh, Luke's gospel, when Jesus's ministry, and he, he encountered the, the man from Gadarene who was demon possessed. And we're told that that man had not only one demon, not seven demons, but that man had as many as 3,000 because when Jesus asked the, the demon that was occupying the, the demoniac what his name was, he said it was Legion. Legion at least is 3,000 Roman soldiers. So the, the number of demons that are present in a person's life is, is, is not daunting to the Lord. There's no limitation to demonic occupation that Jesus can't overcome with his authority and with his power. But this man was just trying to, this demon was just trying to shore up things so that he could make sure he could reside there forever. And so in this brief moment of, of moral reformation, which, you know, we see as, as is, is, is his condition is worse now than it was before. This is reminiscent of what the, the Apostle Peter tells the early Christians there in Second Peter chapter 2. Listen to what Peter says in verse 20. He says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment and to be delivered again. Peter's talking about people that were so close to being saved. 
They, they, they cleaned up their act. They, they got things together. They began to show signs of moral change and reform. And yet they got entangled again in the things of the world before they had submitted their lives by faith to the Lord and experienced true spiritual regeneration. And Peter says it, their, their situation is, is much worse. It's worse than the beginning. And that's the way it is for people who try to settle for just going through reforms morally and, and cultural reforms and thinking that that satisfies God. Jesus knew that the religious leaders of that day, the Jews, were attempting to mislead the people in a very deceitful message that in order to please God, all you've got to do is obey these laws. And if you can, if you obey these laws and keep these commandments, then you you are in God's favor and you are a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus knew that external uh, attempts by man or external regulations and rules and legalism was no substitute for genuine spiritual regeneration, being born again. A person who has the assurance of salvation and has the, uh, the confidence of knowing that they are a child of God and belong to the family of God is truly a blessed person. As a Christian, you and I are so privileged to wake up, not just to say, oh, I'm an American. I have freedoms and I have privileges and I have rights and I have all, uh, you know, access to all these wonderful luxuries and things like that. No, the greatest, greatest thing that you and I have going for us is the fact that we are blessed to know that we know that we know that we are children of God and that we are forever his and nothing, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus illustrates that in an episode that occurred right on the heels of this. What does it mean to be a truly blessed person? Not a person who has just cleaned up their act. Not a person that has subjected themselves to some uh, form of external moral reform. No, folks, a truly blessed person is a child of God. In verse 27, it, it says, Luke records, and it happened. As he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. In verse 28, Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In other words, true disciples. The Lord helps this woman to understand that there is a greater blessing than the accomplishments of your children. You say, well, what is, he, what is she saying there? This woman was simply using a proverb that was popular in that time that basically said that a woman is, is blessed. And you remember from the uh, Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus introduced that, that term blessed. He, he elaborated on it. And, and it, blessed means to be happy, to be fortunate, to be blissful. And in a, divine, in a spiritual sense, it means that we have the divinely bestowed well-being that belongs to the faithful that the well-being of God that is given to us to be in God's pleasure. And this, this woman was using that parable that basically said it was a commendation 
for, for, for a woman. A woman was valued, a mother was valued in the accomplishments of her son. The more that your son did, because it was a male-oriented society, but the more that your son did, the greater his achievements, the greater his accomplishments, then the more esteem was bestowed upon that woman. The more blessed she was. And so this woman just, you know, just blurted out, you know, I guess because she was was so impressed by the Lord Jesus. And she said, you know, your mother is so blessed to have a son like you doing the things that you're doing, teaching the things that you're teaching and working the miracles. Now, not to take away anything from Mary, because Mary, you know, in her Magnificat, when she was praising the Lord for the discovery of the fact that she was carrying the very Messiah, the Son of God, she she said that, you know, how blessed am I? Other women will call me blessed. And she surely was blessed to be the mother of the Messiah. But that wasn't her highest achievement of, of commendation. And Jesus was teaching that to this woman. He says, oh no, he's, he's counting what the woman is saying. He says, "Don't my, my mother is not at the pinnacle of, of blessedness. Not by the fact that I am her son. He, he says more than that. And he's, he said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The highest status of blessing is for those who are open to hearing the word of God and then obeying the word of God, trusting in the Lord, trusting in his word, placing their confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and choosing to die to themselves and receive Jesus Christ into their lives as their Lord and Savior, the child of God, the follower of Christ, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the Christian is the most blessed person in all of eternity. And that's what Jesus is helping the people to see. If you want to be truly blessed, then you've got to go further than simply taking actions to to rid yourself of bad habits and bad words and bad practices. You've got to do more than that. You've got to put your life into the hands of God. You've got to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as, as the Son of God, the fact that he died on the cross and paid the price for your sins, and put your trust in him and be born again. And those are the people that are the most blessed. This follows right in behind what Jesus was just teaching through that parable. And so, you know, when we think about the blessing of being a new Christian, think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. I'm so thankful to God that I've been blessed by God to have the privilege to have made that decision to trust the Lord with my life. I can remember times in my life prior to committing my my life to the Lord by faith. You know, uh, I'd go through spells where I would say, you know, I need to get my life together. I'm I'm, I'm supposed to be a Christian. And this, of course, is before I truly surrender my life to Christ. 
But I'd go through these spells of what I would say would be, you know, uh, morally reforming myself. I'd give up old bad habits, break off bad relationships, you know, start speaking more like a good person. And, and, and you know, and, and that would last for a while. But you know what happened? It wouldn't be long. I'd find myself going along and then drift right back down into those old sinful habits and patterns. No telling. You know, for years I went through those cycles like that. But it wasn't until the day I was probably about 25 years old that the Lord got a hold of my heart and said, Charlie, you've been playing this game too long. You need to decide today, are you going to follow me? Are you going to turn your back on your old sinful self? And are you going to follow me and be and trust in me and be obedient to the teachings of my word and make me the Lord and master of your life? And folks, that's when I truly received my salvation. And you know what? I saw the difference from there on. It wasn't Charlie Martin trying to live up to God's standards from there on. It was Charlie Martin with Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God living in me. And I, it just amazed me how the things that used to attract me no longer attracted me. The things that used to entice me no longer enticed me. The things that used to please me didn't please me anymore. Nothing pleased me like being obedient to the Lord and following him. And what a blessing it was that the Lord helped me to see the distinction between simply trying to live the good life or have an eternal life and letting Christ by the Spirit of God live that through me. You know, why should we settle for being an old clunker with a few minor repairs and a polished job and then one day end up in a junkyard and finally in the fires of, of the, the iron melter when God can regenerate you and bring you into new life and make you a brand new sports car rolling off the assembly line of life of grace to run forever for the glory of God. Don't settle for less when God is offering you everything in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us your holy word that speaks so profoundly and powerfully to us to remind us that indeed you call us into a new life to be born again, to become children of God. Lord, we pray that for those who are here today, that, Lord, we know that we know in our hearts that we are born again, regenerated, that we have submitted ourselves to you, turned our backs on our sinful ways, repented of our sins, confessed our faith and put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then, Lord, humbly submit ourselves to obey you, your word, to follow you, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you wherever you will lead us. Lord, I pray for those who have fallen for the deceptive notion of moral re reformation that could be individuals. There are churches that have fallen for that, Lord. We pray for your mercy upon them, that, Lord, you would open their blinded eyes to see that just simply reforming your behavior and your actions does not make it with God. There's only one way into heaven, and that is to be born again, regenerated by the wonderful Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you will bring this wonderful divine process into effect in the lives of anyone that might be hearing my voice today. 
or Lord, that, that you may touch out there and bring under conviction. We pray that many will come to see that how spiritually bankrupt they are and how greatly they need what only Jesus Christ can give, and that is forgiveness of their sins and eternal life through faith. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mark, I'll ask if you'll come and close out.